unders, down your unders. Review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game. Hosted by Adam Camilleri, Art of War, down under. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to another of our ninth edition retrospectives. I am doing a bunch of these, probably five, maybe even six of these will be done when it's all said and told. I don't think I'll just be re- releasing them over the, the coming weeks in drips and drabs. But I am joined by two of my most favouritest of lads who have essentially come into their own in their own ways in this edition. I thought it was very poignant and very important to get them together for your listening pleasure. They are both of the Stats Check crew and maybe that's got a bit to, a part to play in their meteoric rises, but I'm joined by the wonderful Anthony Vanella, or Tony V, as you may know him on this show, and Inez Wilson. Hello, boys. Adam, thanks for having us. Hello, sir. How you doing? Um, before we get to you into the, the weeds, uh, you should probably plug yourselves and tell everybody about your things. I'm sure everyone already knows, but does, it can't hurt. Ennis can go first. He's more important. Sure. Not super, um, so I'm just a team <laughs> <laughs> cool. uh, Yeah, Anthony and I are two-sevenths now of StatCheck. Um, which is our network slash content feed slash podcast slash coaching service slash a bunch of other things, whatever Jeremy and Cliff have decided to put hats on that day. Uh, you can find us at stat-check.com or on YouTube at StatCheck. Um, we do all sorts of things, but we mostly do our weekly show where we're covering everything that we can about the 40k tournament scene, meta, all the cool stuff, all the stuff that you'd expect from a show that's talking about 40k. We try to inject as much as we can of our personalities into there because... Uh, the most important thing to remember about 40k is that despite the fact that some of us are quite good at it, we're all still just idiots. Um, and we consider that to be the shrine and glory, or at least I do. I don't know about the rest of the team. Maybe they have slightly higher round feelings on it than I do. Um, but yeah, that, that's the long and short. Love it, love it, love it, love it. And I'm also a big fan and a patron of yours as well. So get over there and support them as you will. Um, let us jump into this retrospective review. Anthony, um, I know you've only played, what, two editions of this game? I very technically played the tail end of 8th. The first two tournaments that I played were 8th edition tournaments, and then uh, that and the world shut down for a little bit. Fair the freak enough. So you are <laughs> going to be, it's going to be a- interesting to get your perspectives on this, because this is ex- exclusively the, the only full edition you've ever played of the game. In as, as, uh, despite being young in years, is long in the tooth when it comes to editions, I believe. <laughs> Going back to 5th or 4th, mate? 5th fifth, fifth playing 7th competitively. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was I was fourth playing, fifth playing, seventh competitively. So pretty much exactly the same. Um, all right. But jumping in, Anthony, we'll start with you, mate. What did you think of this ninth edition uh, when you first read it or had your first couple of games back in uh, mid twenty twenty? Uh, my first couple of games were mostly me being scared and confused because that's what I was. Um, I didn't have quite the breadth of uh, like international superstar friends that I have right now is just me and the homie grinding games in the basement. Shout out to Brandon, uh, just in there struggling, uh, <laughs> trying to make sure that we make it right. Um, and then kind of as time went on, like my initial reactions were like, Oh God, I can't just declare everything and then beat it to death. Um, but once I like had played like literally a game or two, I was like, Oh, okay, it's going to be fine. We can still jump and punch. And that was really, you know, even still all I really wanted to do. Um, and that edition, you know, that kind of held up throughout the edition. Um, playing with fixed secondaries was kind of something I was pretty used to because the two tournaments that I had played were both like ITC style tournaments. Yep. So that was like, a, that was a fixture in there already. So coming from that perspective and being so new to the game, the game didn't actually change that much from like that last ITC pack to ninth, I don't think. That is a fair statement. And it, 
to all intents and purposes, I, I think you're absolutely correct, especially with the ITC missions getting quite close to what we've been playing uh, right. lately. Um, Inez, what about yourself, mate? Yeah, so I definitely came from it from a very different perspective. Um, I had played a lot of 7th and 8th competitively, and then it started up, and yeah, the world uh, it ended up, and the world shut down, and we played almost no 40k events. So I played like 2021, I think I played one tournament. 2022, I think I played like 15, and then I played like 30 this year. So it's definitely yeah. been a it's definitely been a very different um, experience, not one that I was expecting to go through. Um, you know, I suppose you never expect the world to stop, right? Um, so we had a lot of time to digest ninth edition without like all of the other contexts of it, I suppose. So one big thing was obviously we moved from like the WTC system or the ETC system at the time, which was playing like Tempest of War and Maelstrom cards and all that kind of stuff. And then we moved on to this very much fixed secondaries, more like the ITC, which was very, very new to us at the time. Um, we had played some of it in the UK, but it wasn't a popular format. I continued to not like it very much. Um, and it was a complete departure. So we moved from what was effectively like a fifth through seventh or fifth through eighth history of the way we played the game and it all died and we had to relearn it new which you know is fun in some ways and completely life spiraling in others um and we had a long time to digest that a long time to sit and paint three demacarons waiting for the day they get yeah. off the table um you know all that good stuff that happened while we were sat waiting for a night position but yeah it was it was a huge huge change yeah, interesting you guys both mentioned COVID as well. I mean, I've, I had a couple of, well, I had a couple of Aussies and a couple of New Zealanders on with me last week, and we both detailed how we barely got to play in 2020 and 2021. When did things, like, so when did you guys, uh, can you identify a point in the edition where you felt like you actually got to start playing it fully, like immerse yourself within the, within the edition, immerse yourself within the meta? Because it, it honestly, until about the last quarter of 2021, I didn't really bother getting that into the game. It was kind of just play where I could. What was it for like for you guys? So because I live in the States and we don't follow the laws of logic nor man, uh, <laughs> we were able to play tournaments by like late 2020, if I remember right. Um, so, I mean, like once it was vaguely feasible to do so, we basically did. We were in like full masked, like, pre-screen tests tournaments, which is a level of commitment uh, for an RTT that we drove five hours to be at or whatever ridiculous <laughs> nonsense we were doing at the time. Just oh, in there. Bless. Just trying to play tournaments, Adam. You know, that young, that young, like, oh, it's a tournament. We got to do it. Uh, well, like, when you're new to the scene. I honestly um, love that because you will... It, imagine 10 years from now trying to convince a new whippersnapper that you had to do that and that's that's what you did like i, I love that idea <laughs> yeah it was wild it was uh definitely an interesting time like and that was you know at like a time where i was like dragging my two buddies with me too yeah. i was like come on boys we're going um i think i think our record was we went to pittsburgh for like an rtt it was like a one-day event it was like an eight-hour drive each Jeez. way um that's monstrous <laughs> i love it yeah, just hungry, you know? Real, real hungry. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was probably around when we started. I think I played my first tournament in the in ninth edition playing as Blood Angels, and I played them for, like, a full year. And it was, like, right, like, bang after their codex came out when its scepters were still busted. Uh, and I, like, hustled to get a unit into the list because I was like, oh, I'm going to a tournament, I need them. <laughs> uh, it was, like, a real, like, eight-step puzzle to acquire them during COVID. It was, yeah. it was a... It's an interesting ride. 
Um, Inez, what was, the, what was the tale of things in uh, the UK? Yeah, so for us, it was kind of like we went into lockdown whenever it was. We came off of like, I was like, right at the end of 8th edition, was like one failed charge roll off of winning my first major, and then we shut down. And that was like March, that was like February, and I didn't play an event again until September. And it was like, oh my God, this sucks. Um, mm. So it was a lot of time just being online, digesting things, you know, like trying to pick up what we could, playing a game here and there in your garage when you could convince somebody to come yeah. over. And then I played one team event in September and we shut down again for another eight months. <laughs> now you are both TTS enjoyers. Is that correct? Yes. Enjoyers is uh, a stretch, but I'm during, 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 COVID, I was. during yeah. COVID. I was, a, I was, a, I played TTS like almost every day. Uh, yeah, but yeah, so we shut down. But yeah, so I played an event September, 2020 uh, with chaos soup. I had like, like, 8th edition Codex Death Guard where you could finally drop them in and use Cloud of Flies on them and all that cool stuff. That was great. And then we shut down and then I had a, and then I had my next GT in July the next year. Uh, wow. Uh, and that was like debuting right into Eldari Helmet. And then since then, I've basically steady clipped. I steady clipped an event a month because I was still working weekends at the time. So I could take like 12 days holiday a year. That's 12 tournaments. So nice. that was my, my, my rough set. Um, I did about one a month. So that was like when I did LGT when like right in the middle of Admech, Drakari, Helmeta, tried to grind that with Iron Hands, um, played some Forces, played some Cults, and then rolled into Terranids at the start of 2022, which is when I got my big boy job, and then I dropped to doing like two or three events a month, basically since then, and that's been the last 15 to 18 months. Wow. And perfectly transitioning to the next couple of questions, that's been your kind of your tale of Ninth Edition. You've really ramped up towards the end of it, but that's also coincided with you, like you said, getting a new job, freeing you up in a lot of other ways, which may have happened anyway, may not have happened, you know, regardless. So kind of an interesting story. Uh, <laughs> your progression has kind of gone with the world's progression as well, which I find quite interesting. Anthony, um, what have you played for the majority of this edition and how has your engagement with the game been throughout? Uh, I, the army I've probably played the most just by, like, calendar month was probably Drukhari. I picked up a Drukhari lot before the Codex came out in my, again, in my young whippersnapper days before I knew anybody <laughs> to know that they were going to be insane, and I just high-rolled. Um, <laughs> just Love got it. lucky. Love um, it. So I bought Drukhari, and then their Codex came out, and I remember being up at, like, 5 in the morning watching, uh, like, brad and scary break down the codex on that review and i was like oh this looks nuts and then i put it on a table and my buddy that i was living with at the time uh who i'd been playing all through covid with was like why did they give your blood angel army transports and guns and i went i don't know it's fucking sweet and we rode that we rode that lightning all the way until cherokee open until just after that Yep. Um, so I played Drukhari for like 17 or 18 months, but I've played a bunch of stuff this edition. I played Drukhari, I played Harleys, Blood Angels, uh, CSM of like all stripes, World Leaders, uh, CK, Votan. I've played like all There's sorts the of There's the dark of Terranids. Yes, mm. uh, I like blocked mm -hmm. that one out of my head because uh, <laughs> I had to play that at WDC and did not want to. Um, but it's fine, you know? Sometimes shit happens. Uh, sometimes yeah. you make six man units with what should be five man units and you make mistakes <laughs> in this life. But anyway, uh, yeah, I played mids too. That was all right. Um, as a general rule of thumb, I found the addition to be super fun. Um, the armies that I've gelled most with have been the ones that have uh, some form of like consistent game mechanic. I haven't super enjoyed the times that I've played ones that are like, this turn on this. 
or something yeah. like that. I like the snowball effects. So like yeah. Chaos Knights, Jukari, World Eaters, etc. Um, that's definitely a non-zero part of why I didn't like mids that much. It was very annoying to be like, oh, what does my army do this turn? Um, and then Harley's had a mono mechanic for like two months, and then they took it away. So, um, <laughs> Don't know what which, they did. Uh, we all know which, what they yeah. did. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, jumping but yeah. into the rest of these, uh, we'll start with you, Inez. Um, yeah. Having seen and played a bunch of core rule books, how does this rule book shape up with the rest? As far as like the core rules go, I remember my f- like the thing that stands out the most heavily in my mind is being like the Goonhammer chat and um, getting sent a picture of the rare rules section. Um, like right when it previewed, I was like, okay, cool. So this is my favorite edition ever, as far as like a rules writing perspective goes. The fact that we had like literally just a section that was like, hey, here are some of the weird interactions that might happen. Mm-hmm. We would have waited three years, five years, three editions for an answer to some of those questions. Before. Correct. Um, yeah, and that alone like in- made my like made this edition just better for me. The fact that there was never, oh, well, we just don't know how this works, and it just didn't work ever. Now, there are still little things like that. Like, there are still, you know, you sometimes get things like the entire 8th edition that, you know, assault weapons could not, didn't actually work, right? There was always yeah. there was always little things like that that stick around, little niggles. But I struggled to think of one off the top of my head for ninth edition, which is why I just used an 8th edition example. So that's pretty, it's generally a good sign for the way I like to enjoy the game. I like things to be answerable, even if they're not, answer like i don't mind when there's the strongest army as long as there's responses i don't mind when there's a bad mechanic as long as there's counterplay but it's when there's nothing or nothing changes that it bugs me and seventh fifth sixth seventh eighth all had that. i left during sixth edition because i just hated that edition so much because there were just so many stupid interactions from like the way things were written and in that edition cleared up so much of that in a way that just yeah. made me enjoy the game so much more agreed i love that rare rule section because it just showed hey here's some forethought <laughs> proof yeah, like, hey, we this, this think, is gonna come out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Proof we thought about this a little bit, and that you will need to think about this at some point. I and like the fact that, that it got updated as codexes yes. and books and things yeah. came out, um, even if one of them did require a flowchart in the bloody fight first FAQ. But <laughs> do you know what? I'm glad we had the flowchart. Exactly right. Well, in eighth edition, we had was it the designer's commentary was the closest thing that we had to yeah. that, <laughs> and that was a bit of its own mess. And that came out like two years into 8th edition as well. We just didn't yeah. have that for a while. Because it used to be like you could double fight with gene stealers into something. And because it was they were both at the end of the phase, you could sequence it so that your opponent's attack back happened before you piled into them. So they never got the hit. And it was just stuff hit. like that was never, yep. never enjoyable to try and like explain to your opponent. I hated that bit. It was like, I was okay doing it to someone who knew about it. But like, if that was the way your army won games and your opponent didn't know that was the way you won games, it just sucked. And the fact that stuff yeah. like that is gone. It's just a net benefit. Totally agree. Uh, Anthony, seeing as you've only had this core rulebook, essentially, we're going to skip you, but you can start with the next one. What was your overall <laughs> opinion of the balanced artifact and chapter-approved system of balance for Ninth edition? How, how well do you think they did as well? First of all, I can reach out and touch my 8th edition rulebook from where I'm sitting. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Second of all, um, the I, I mean, I think that was crucial to the game, honestly. I come to 40k from like digital games, where batch like uh, patch balancing balancing patches there we go is super important. Yep. Um, for keeping the meta like if not healthy at least moving. Um, and I think that without that in the game, I probably would consider stop playing it. Um, I think it's like absolutely mission critical. Um, GW tends to get a little carried away with the introduction of new mechanics and the scaling of them. Um, so the ability to have something that you can go in after the fact and be like, yes, that was very cool but maybe a little too cool for the game. <laughs> maybe let's wind that in a couple steps. Uh, like 
you know, basically if you just look backwards through the armies that I've played through the edition, uh, you can see like a trail of mangled bodies next to them. Uh, and that is why we need those balance updates. Those are super important. Fair. Inez, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, broadly, broadly same as Anthony. I think they've gotten the approach wrong on them, but I'm glad they're doing them is kind of how the way I feel about it. So it's like, I wish they were more heavy handed with them and, you know, came back for the bad stuff later. Like, don't leave, you know, Drakari alone. Don't, like, give them a buff and a nerf. Just just nerf them. Figure out, like, deal with the rectally. Like, I don't love the approach they've taken. The fact that they're doing them is amazing. They, and I think they've gotten better towards the end of the edition. Like, the Armor Contempt one was fantastic because it was just like, hey, this this army just doesn't work. Let's make it work. And they actually did. And that was good. And then, you know, things change and, you know, they did the really light cap ones. I think those ones are a waste of time. It really sucks waiting three months for a balance date slate that you know is coming. That's always my biggest thing with it, is when you know they're coming and you're expecting something from them and they suck, it hurts so much more because <laughs> you know you're waiting three, three and a half more months for the next one. And that bit I don't love. But, you know, they're never going to get it perfect. They're never going to get a perfect first try either. And they did get a lot of them right. Um, I think I yeah. my Goonhammer review for the last one was like, um, this was this was like a C, a C plus um, balance date slate, best one of the edition or something like that. Which, yeah kind of sums up how i feel about them i'm glad they're doing them i wish they were doing them better i uh the last one was actually my least favorite one of them because i thought armor of contempt was great and the way they handled marines right after that was garbage but <laughs> yeah i agree for the most part yeah i tend to agree with that last point as well anthony like uh you had armor of contempt which was kind of an elegant fix if a little like i think some people saw it as too much but then to be like, well, we're going to take that away and just make you into a horde army by giving you free everything. We're like, okay, Hagar Rukatev was fine. Let's have that back, please. Thank you very much, sir. Yeah, Jesus uh, Christ. My win rate wow. really appreciate it. Sorry? My win rate really appreciate it. <laughs> Noted <laughs> Iron Hands Enjoyer, Ennis Wilson, a yes. fan of the post-armor of contempt change. Yeah. <laughs> who, who would have thought? Who would have thought? Uh, what did we think of the power creep of this edition? Do you think it was a real deal, or do you think it was more of a power roller coaster, as some people have described it, and or Ferris wheel? Uh, I'm definitely on team roller coaster. Like the things that were good often just needed the next thing after them to come out to fix that. But supply chain got all wacky, and it never worked out that we actually had a healthy meta. So instead, we got like the the worst case scenario. This is the one argument against the chapter approves actually is that very consistently it would be like broken codex runs the meta for three months. The chapter approved that kills said codex, or at least like hits it coincides with a release of an equally messed up codex. And then you would just snowball that chain down. Like when the nothing was funnier than like, what was it like four of the top eight of LVO being new named players playing custodies Correct. and then the book getting points drops like the week after it was like what are we doing <laughs> um, but like yeah that <laughs> that flow was not great but i think that like if we ever could have played the release versions of the books with just like maybe the plain nerf from the data slates in, i think that meta would actually potentially be interesting we'll never see it because of how books get released but i think that in general a lot of the books were closer in power level than they may have seemed when they released. I tend to agree with that, especially now with the knowledge um, that books are written in blocks. Um, case in right. point was, you know, Votam is written at the same time as Nizel Dari Tau. 
uh, custodies, you know, they all seem like they would fit together very well in a meta and kind of keep each other being each other's checks and balances and whatnot. Maybe Void Weavers would still need a, a nerf in that environment, but apart from that, like, knock the top off Nids and that's not too bad, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to be the Death Star player in that environment. Yeah, I mean, oh, be yeah. Any, it's they, those five guys just like uh, 60% win rate against the rest of the rest of the world and then kind of rock papering each other out. the problem with this kind of like data sheet or uh, like power cube thing is that only so many things in the codex are actually going to be powerful. I know Nids was like a generalized exception to that because that data sheet was just like, as Anthony says, one stat level too high and four stats on every unit in the game in the codex. Yep. Um, <laughs> but broadly, when you have a high power level meta, it centralizes options because you can only play the things that can keep pace with the high level stuff. I generally prefer lower power level metas because the meta is flatter. You can get away with a few more ninety percent units, a few more ninety percent armies because Correct. they're good enough at things. They could, you know, maybe they have mission play, maybe they have an interesting dynamic into the top metas. When you have centralized power like the Turner Codex, the Votan Codex, the Drakari Codex, you can only play the options that are the best into that, which means you get very centralized, very boring metas very quickly. Now, the fact that maybe, yeah. yeah, the next book down the line maybe fixes that just means it shoots harder, right? Like, that's not actually a fix. That's just saying, hey, yeah, sure, Drakari aren't going to have a 75% worry forever because they actually lose every game to Admech. But what does Admech do to everything down the line from Drakari? That's part of the problem, too. So, yeah, it's cool that things are written in blocks, but they needed to have more consideration if they're going to do the drip from Toby's schedule of having things come out. And I'm hoping with the 10th edition index system that it won't, but it could be addressed. Um, I, I don't know about I think the power creep system is bad because, especially when you look at something like Release Admech basically currently exists in the game right now. Like you can almost just play them, like maybe less through the through the plain things, and that army is nowhere. And I don't think and that's it, a good thing. And it was a freaking juggernaut. Like it was the best, arguably the best or equal best army in the game upon release. Uh with Drakari, like hanging ten. Um and that's just it's just so wild, isn't it? That that is just it doesn't even touch the size now. It's crazy to think. Um in saying that, like th- this is what this was probably my biggest criticism of the balanced data like chapter approved system. They always seem to be punitive. They never seem to be like, okay, well, if all the books that are coming out are busted, rather than nerfing all of them, let's just like buff T Suns. <laughs> well, they they changed the board of the witches category. Oh, dude, I mean, I know, I, I know that was a real buff, and you know that was a real buff, but the masses, mate, they just don't get it. No, it's fine. Um, <laughs> the, but you know what I mean? Like, there, there was not much proactive about them. They just seemed yeah, to there be was always, always... I was always happy with the nerf side of things. Like, I think they could have gone harder on some of the nerfs, but I always... But, yeah, the buffs should have been bigger and more frequent, especially for the smaller factions. The wild one is that stuff like Death Guard got buffed for, like, three balance states consistently, got to almost okay, and then they dropped, like, three more codexes that outstripped them and never touched them again. And I was like, well, that's... You've not gone... Like, I know you can't just make Death Guard off Ward Army with Terminators. It's not going to be fun, but there's got to be something you can do here. And they just never did. And then they were... People spent a whole bunch of time talking about using faction secondaries as balance mechanics and then just didn't do that either, really. Um, well, they did for some and not for others. They yeah, did for that worked out great. Just Necrons and bits. Necrons and Orcs seem to be the two that they managed to do successfully. And then that's like they didn't either they either didn't try or couldn't figure it out for anybody else. I feel like they didn't really turn the corner on Orcs until they got the law change. Like their secondaries were pretty good, but it didn't matter until they got that last bit of power boost and then that's Orcs have been very good since. 
Yeah, that's fair. Um, I made a gross sweeping statement about ninth edition a couple of weeks ago that seems to... Uh, ah, some people agree with it, some people don't. So, ergo, it's a good talking point. Um, uh, with the exception of Tyranids, and the Tyranids are a very big exception to this, there have been uh, uh, armies that have good rules, and then there have been armies that have good data sheets. Case in point of the good data sheet ex- uh, example would be Demons. Having good data sheets, not great rules, um, exception to Deep Strike, I guess. And then uh, ones with good rules but not good data sheets would be something like like Admech, I suppose. Or Iron just Hands. Have, or uh, perfect, perfect example, Iron Hands. Take, pick, pick your poison of the good Space Marine faction. Um, does that ring true for you, boys? And of course, you know the big caveat being Tyrion has got just everything of everything all of all the time, everything. Um. I don't know if I broadly agree. Like, I definitely think Custodes had both. I feel like Tau have good rules and good data sheets. And there's a lot of armies that are, you know, they're not Tyranid level, but they've certainly got everything they could want. Like, they, they killed full mechanics on Harlequins, on Tau. They killed full mechanics, and they still have, you know, very playable things in there. The fact that, you know, Nids dodged through, like, four different nerfs before finally breaking under the weight, like, is yeah. because they had terrible, partly because they had terrible secondaries the entire time. It just didn't matter most of the way probably indicates that they actually only had good data sheets. Like, the rules were there as, like, a vehicle to get the data sheet there. So, I don't know. I don't know if I fully agree. I don't know if I fully disagree. It's really it's hard to nail down, like, the exact specifics of it, but I think there were enough armies that I would be like, no, they had both to broadly think I disagree with you on that. Yeah, that's I think uh, the play experience for me, having played the Fodum things when they were the hottest, is difficult for me to agree, because like, every time I saw, like, a shiny new mechanic that hadn't been break tested properly or limit tested properly i grabbed it like the proliferation of fights last in jukari combined with the advanced charge or like the harlequins you know redeploy advance and shoot can't get shot back you know so on and so forth um i think the closest one of like the broken nonsense i've played through the edition that gets the closest to that is probably csm where if you put like emperor's children rules on any army with like good data sheets the game immediately (laughs) Um, but because it was a bunch of scarce data sheets, it was fine. Yeah, you're correct. Like, it, it was really strong, but like, you know, it didn't explode the game. Whereas if you hand like Tyranid data sheets, those Emperor's Children strats, the game ends. Hmm. Question, uh, question for you, Anthony. In uh, So maybe the exception is World Eaters. Apart from World Eaters, does CSM, do any of the CSM factions have a good data sheet? Like a single good data sheet? Abaddon's awesome. Oh, that's uh, fair. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Abaddon I'm talking about it. <laughs> uh, if you can, if you're a non-Marklot Legion, you can take a Demon Prince that would slap ass in any books. Because um, you can take the Mark and Nurgle boy with full hit rerolls and all that. And that guy fucking owns. And then it's like a really steep fall. You got like uh, possessed are pretty good. No, <laughs> every other, I, almost yeah. any other army that I've played, elite like murder infantry has been better than possessed. Possessed are actually only. Do you play the turn of warrior cost nowadays? Yeah. I think I would still rather have the Tyranid warrior because at least it has the good grace to have fucking core. <laughs> I do, I do agree. The possessed look quite good in that book, but I don't think that I, I'm with Anthony. I think that holds up outside of that. I mean, just consider what you get in repenture points for a possessed, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but I think repenture are just wildly one of the best issues in the game, and a codex I mean, doesn't support them at all. I mean, like the another example is like eight bound, right? Like eight bound are really awesome, but they're twelve points more than a possessed. Um, or even like Exalted Ape Bound, right? Or significantly more expensive than Possessed, but at least they do their job. I think Possessed tripped into being like 
they should have been just like seven more points and had core and then they would have been awesome. Yeah. Um, but instead they weren't. <laughs> so they were just like kind of weird and you ended up cutting them rapidly unless you were playing one of the two lists, one of the two chapters that wanted to run 30. Wow, but that's also yeah. Yeah, yeah. Been very common in the edition, right? Is you just grab the reins of the thing that your stuff does best and just ride it into hell. Um, and, and this is perfect example of what Ina's talking about. I'd rather having a, a much more level meta across the board with small incremental. You know, I, I think I think of um, Grey Knights having played Grey Knights a bunch and how the right. internal balance of that book has is so out of whack. Where essentially everything is the same as an interceptor, but an interceptor moves twelve, and you're like, well, I guess the rest don't exist. You know, yeah, because <laughs> we've got the one that moves twelve. Uh, Grey Knights are actually a great example of the like the thing I was saying as well that like. Grey Knights have always been a matchup that I found broadly positive because they're trying to do three things well and then I just punch them in the face and they stop moving. Um, and that army just has like zero fault tolerance for someone with better data sheets running at you. And it's like, I can kill the shit out of that unit that I got amp off on as long as amp went off. Uh, just straight. Yeah. But if yeah. the amp fails or there's two units, I guess I lose. Oh man, I I had five strikes fully buffed go into nine fully buffed Tyranid warriors at WTC. I killed seven of them, mate, with five <laughs> with five oh, strikes. Yeah. And you're like, That's sometimes great. it just happens for you. The world just yeah. it all just works out. And then you're like, ah, oh, they just four up denied. I played sisters. Ah, oh, they just four up denied your amp. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Oh, I felt the that, charge or the power the or the gate. Yes, or. yes. The failure points are exponential. Um, anyway, uh, Inez, terrain rules, mate. One of the big selling points of this edition, one of the big keystone things that they promised would be relevant this edition, because it kind of wasn't in, in eight. How do you think they did? Um, it's hard. Again, it's hard to be, because there's so many different ways to play 40K with terrain nowadays, where sometimes they're fit for purpose and sometimes they're just not. Um, the turn rules as they are now work really well if you're given a considered board. Like, if you are given a map that's been designed to play 40k on, then they are pretty good. Like, I'm fairly okay with UKTC boards, I'm fairly okay with WC boards. Early UKTC and WC had teething problems, and they're broadly come out of the side where you can broadly play a game on them. Yes, they're going to favor certain types of armies or others because at the end of the day, you're always making considerations like that when you put another piece of trait on the board. Now, that kind of works because fixed terrain formats force engagement in a certain way, right? Like, you can say, hey, you have to have an open objective, or all the objectives are closed to this mission, or whatever. And that changes the way you play, and it forces engagement. And then there's the player-placed format, which just says, hey, what if all of your objectives were perfect, except the one you coin-flipped? And I don't think they work well at all for that, and I think it's a miserable format. Um, so, it's, you know, kind of debatable. And I know there are people who love player-placed, so for me, it's it's contributed to a wide diversifying in the way people play 40k because you either have to have a lot of terrain or perfect terrain in order to survive in the lethality of 40k now and perfect terrain creates a very 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 dull style of gameplay and high high entry level terrain like you can see wc creates a massive burden on terrain organization so i think both ends of the spectrum fail in some way which means the terrain system probably isn't working so, I mean, I, I 100% agree that the terrain has been the biggest lever that the community has pulled to make the game playable and not just the coin flip uh, Adepticon meta in perpetuity. Um, so I do agree that it has worked to that extent, stacking it. Anthony, thinking about the 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 actual pieces of terrain, you know, the dense, the light, the, the defensible, if you ever remembered it, well done. 
I've, I did not use the rule once as this edition. Never, 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 never heard of it. Does <laughs> scream <laughs> set to defend every time I get charged in the open, in a forest? I don't know what's defensible anymore, Adam. You just, you just, I just say it and then see I if just they... yell set defend every time I get charged. <laughs> hold, hold steady on Desolation Marines. It's got, got me a golden ticket. That's all I'm saying. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I believe that. Yuck, um, yuck, yuck. I do just want to say that, like, I think the single largest plague preventing American 40k from progressing is the idea that player place terrain is an acceptable format. Um, I think it actively holds back our scene because it is not in any way, shape or form, despite what people will tell you skill testing. Um, And it just opens up avenues for newer players to get drilled. It is only an excuse for TOs to run suboptimal terrain. I mean, I genuinely think it has been a, so, so when it first came out, I personally don't love it. Um, I think it, it has been, and I thought when it first came out, it was going to be a stopgap towards why should why should we try and figure out what you know? Because there was a bunch of GW events coming up. GW is going to tell us what tournament what event to do. stuff GW should be. Told us to use a really crap terrain format to figure out who Exactly right. Might be better than that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I thought I thought we were just going to be in a holding pattern, trying to figure out how many pieces we need. The community coalesces into a solution, and then we run with that solution. Never happened. Um, and I do have to say, oh, while I I have played on Player Place Terrain, I played two events on Player Place Terrain in the states. And yeah, you're absolutely right. I I mean, I don't hate it with as much vitriol as you do. I do not. I I think it is the worst of the terrain formats we have currently have going as a personal preference. Um, WTC being the best by far. Uh, but even then, that they ain't they ain't designed for singles. But they work on singles because I play enough on them. That, you know, and most, most people I play play enough on them that it's not a, not too much of a detriment. But I can see them being a big enough downside for a, a new player as well. Um, the only issue is like three reps in on the same WTC table, usually figure out that hey, they're going to switch to this angle, and I need to be ready for it. That kind of stuff. I think it's better to give players a fixed thing that they can learn to get better at. Rather than pretending that it's okay that you have a ruin and because you placed it, it's enough to hide behind. <laughs> and so, my only my last my last thing is that I never liked how um, the goalposts seemed to change with player place terrain from different table to different table because all the tables had different usually had different sets or different pieces on them. If it was uniform, if every if every table across an entire event had the same pieces then 100% it is a trainable skill that you can get good at, can get better at, can practice at home ad nauseum um, if you if you wanted to, to get better at it. The fact that is there's, and I'm talking about a lot of FLG events here, the fact that there's like sometimes six, seven, eight different tables alive in the environment at the same time makes it really hard for some for a lot of new players to really perfect or, or get better. Yeah, the line I always like for that, for LVO, I played on more ruins every single game of day two at LVO than I played in my three my full three games on day one. Every table I played on on day two had more ruins than my full three games on day one. It's mm, like that's wild. how is that even remotely a tournament environment? And, and look, I'm not I'm not going to be overly critical of FLG. I wanted them to do more with with that format. I thought they could get even better at at what they were doing. Um, and still, it's still not. A terrible thing. I still don't hate it like you guys do. I'll still be a little bit devil's advocate for it and say, hey, it is a format we can play. It's totally fine if it's not for you. Um, in saying that, how about the rest of it, boys? Just speak speak to UKTC if you can. Because I know it, it didn't start off good, this edition, but it's in a great place I, now. 
I do want to say, like, this isn't even a... It's actually less about FLG than it is the knock-on effects it has on other organizers. Because I think it can create difficulty transitioning out of player placed as well. It's like this, like, weird poisoned fruit where, like, once you're in, you're like, no, it's fine. And then, like, you go to play something else. It's just, like, it creates problems that go, like, well past FLG's issue. I actually don't... I take less issue with FLG using it because they're a giant tournament organizer with a million sets of terrain. That, like, I understand where you're coming from, man. Business is business. Money is money. But it's more annoying at, like, the smaller level when, like, a small store that's, like, accidentally turns a bunch of people off competitive because the terrain isn't good. But anyway, uh, the UKTC I only played on once. Once? Once. And it was once, right? Coventry. Yes. Uh, I was like, I haven't been back there. Um, It was awesome. It was great. It was nice to have the layouts put to what it is. It is interesting in that it... One upside of it, even though that it is easier, like shooting is just more powerful on UKTC than it is on most other layouts, um, it does make range of your weapons matter, which it usually doesn't in most other layouts, most of the time outside of WTC. Um, because like you can shoot like corner to corner or cro- like down like the diagonal sometimes. And when you can do that, if you do have 40 in- 48 inch range guns, that's a huge deal. But if you just showed up with bolters, you're going to get shot basically for free, which is like an interesting dynamic when ranged on weapons and 40k almost never matters. It does matter on that layout. Yeah, which I think is broadly one of the positives is that, like I was saying, when you have a fixed ring format, you can make different things strong on different parts of the board, right? And then the PV game becomes about leveraging the terrain that you're given rather than the terrain that you choose. So playing on like GW boards, very occasionally you get like that line down the middle where you can shoot across it, and sometimes it matters. Most of the time, unless it's indirect range, doesn't really matter. And that's, you know, you know, like range, so like 6 to 30 kind of matters, and then past that, you know, 30 might as well be infinity. Um, UKTC boards definitely do a good job of giving you reasons to use longer range guns, use threat ranges, um, like threaten people. Open objectives do a good job of that, right? Because you can control the space with guns now instead of just how you use melee. So it does depower melee lists, which is a good thing, because... On a board like WTC, melee is very powerful because lots of objectives are hidden, there's lots of good staging grounds, and you can see it falls into that problem as well, where there can be a lot of really good staging. So, giving shooting a thing to do is great. And I think UTHCD, once they moved away from it being way too heavy on that, and they added, you know, two extra ruins on every on every board, and put the dents in slightly more relevant places, and moved some of the objectives, when Free Shire Reserve came in, they twisted some of the ruins so that Free Shire Reserve wasn't quite as powerful. It's a good format. It's not it's got its flaws. Like it, there are still some deployments that are too hard to hide on, too easy to hide on. Um, fast shooting is still is too good on this board because there's these ruins that have lips on the outside that are very easy to walk onto and shoot through. But and with like a, an 18 inch move unit, you can jump from your safety to your opponent's safety and remove it, which I think is problematic. But it's a smaller issue than you know range back past 24 is irrelevant for me. Yeah. I, th- I think that's very well summed up. Uh, moving on from there, some pointed questions to either of you. Uh, Anthony, first up for yourself, being re- a re- extremely new player to the scene, how have you managed to handle your meteoric rise? I'm not sure we've ever seen a player literally start an edition and then play for the WTC, you know, start podcasts here, there, and everywhere within you know, a couple of years of getting into the competitive game. How have you managed that, and why do you think it's been something you've taken to like a Dr. Water? Um, yeah, I went from, like, basically my first competitive year, like, during that first season is when I got the offer to start for the WTC team. It's definitely been a wild ride. 
Um, yeah, that's insane. That's just insane. Having like a, a first or second year player just be like a starter at the WTC. Poland, yeah, it was, uh, it's just a Euro, it's just a Eurosphere thing or an Anglosphere <laughs> thing. Poland, you're good at it. We're just crap at recognizing talent, apparently. <laughs> the um, I mean, I like I owe just all of it right to past experience in competitive outlets and like the mentors that I ended up with in 40k. Like between those two things is basically how you end up with me. Uh, besides the like crazy grind of hours put into games and yada yada yada. Like there was a lot of like external factors that allowed me to be who I am in the space. Um like even like my my primary practice partner through like literally all of COVID, we must have played like 400 games together is Brandon, right? Without someone to grind like that, grind with like that during COVID, those skills don't develop. Like <laughs> it doesn't work the same way. Uh similarly if I come up in a local meta that doesn't have TJ Lonigan and Sean Naden in it, probably slightly worse at the game. Um but all those factors together been uh, online a lot to read all the things from the discords from people that are actually good rather than getting lost in the noise like all the factors add up over time and you kind of build into you know where i'm at now i definitely think a big part of it that doesn't get talked about enough is that i was willing to meta reroll because that would often put me into like the xo tables later into the tournament and i would essentially get you know like to, I would get to see how high-level players react in a tournament scenario. It's like free coaching almost, right? That I had to, like, you know, struggle grind and murder some folks in route to getting. But, like, once I got there, if you go into the game just looking to learn, uh, you can pick up a lot and then kind of apply that in later matches. Um, I do love hearing the uh, the humility you've come in with. I think that's uh, really admirable. And also, I can't never heard it in, like, two years of working with him with Snapchat. I can't. So, I incredible. Can't. <laughs> I can't help but not picture some kind of nativity scene with um <laughs> with all the <laughs> anyway, just Sean Reed we... handing out to me a Drakari army is one of the gifts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Luck, yeah. It's like the mur <laughs> from yeah. one of the wise men. Is Gold frankincense and murder. I, I, yes, yes. <laughs> I gift you the the, the gift of uh, incubi. <laughs> May you use them wisely. Anyway, um Inez, as somebody who has been a, a top player. For, for many a year, many an edition. What has it been about ninth edition that has enabled you to go to that next level? It really, the simple answer is free time. Um, and as much as it's a crap answer, I went from being, like when I started playing seventh edition tournaments, I was 19, I was still in university, or I just dropped out of university, sorry, and was working full time, started doing events. Then I went back to university, did four years of university and worked a part-time job. So didn't have that much free time. I put what I had into 40K, did pretty well at tournaments, competed for Scotland WC. I was doing that while doing other stuff, which a bunch of people do. And then I got a full-time job that didn't work weekends, and then I doubled my event numbers in a year. And then now I've moved to doing full-time 4K, and I've, over the past like five months, done as many events as I did last year total. It it's just, wild. It, the, it really is just the, the sake of, I have so much more free time now. I work with better people. Like We're so much more globally integrated now. Um, as a result of like the past couple of years of networking, working with people like Anthony, people like Typhus from the Polish team, Jeremy and uh, from the from the Canadian team, um, like all of our like community stat check, it's just a massively more integrated um, group of people. Having a teammate like Brian in the area, who's also one of the best players in the world, has been great for working with. But really, it just comes down to I've had more time to do all that 
because my life has gotten easier over time and I have been able to take what I was already doing and do more of it better with better players, partly because I've worked well with my community and all that kind of thing over time, which has been great. And it's super rewarding to see the results of putting the effort into my community come back and give me a better team, better people to practice with, better people to play with, um, people that I can trust more, which takes some of the burden off me. I don't spend as much time doing deep dives into rules because I just ask in Discord and I'm like, hey, can somebody tell me how this works now? I've become the boomer. Like, it's great. Um, but it really is just, I have more time to do this now, so I can put more energy into being good at 40k, which I then capitalized on as well. Like, I, you don't just get better by having the free time. I made the investments with my free time to get better at 40k, and it's yeah. Dude, but yeah, brilliant. Very well said for anybody else out there. There is there is just a critical mass of time you can put into 40K that will get you better. But then again, a lot of people don't have that time, and so they need to just do the right things with the time that they have. I, do th- um, I did also have a little bit of like the, the comp- I don't know how to describe it, but like the competitive click where I just decided I was going to stop losing games I didn't have to anymore. Um, and that helped a lot as well. When I was just like, hey, it was quite literally, I looked at a tournament I was going to that Manny was going to, and I was like, well, Manny doesn't lose games, so why should I lose games? And then I just stopped losing games, and I won my first Super Major that weekend, and I was like, oh, cool, I'm just going to continue that energy as long as I can. Um, and so you that's know what? what we're all doing wrong, guys. Everybody everybody, just decide right now. <laughs> you got to time it right. Like, I was playing Crusher Stampede that weekend. It was nice. but uh, Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Just be a top player with a broken list, and then just make exactly. a decision. That decision is like embedded in my head now as like the switch moment for me, which means that I try my best to carry that energy forward and to maintain that same level of why don't, why not every event I go that, to, which that definitely does, helps. That is a whole, I, I would like to chat with you for like an hour on that and just unpack that from a, on a psychological level, level, if you let me put my counseling hat on someday. But very interesting to hear that that has worked, that kind of self-manifestation. I, I like that a lot. I found it quite inspiring. But we are getting into the closing uh, minutes of this retrospective. Anthony, the thing you loved or enjoyed the most about this edition, it can be a memory from a game, it can be a specific rules interaction that you truly and deeply loved, it can be a time in the meta. I think my favorite, I mean, this is massive bias, but my favorite part of the meta was definitely the Thick City run. Um, you make me sick. Like that. <laughs> yeah, it was so good. <laughs> it was so good. Down with the thickness, Adam. Uh, it, it was a good time. Like, that list was a lot of fun to play. Um, it was also really funny to have like person over person tell me that it wasn't actually that good. And then we would play and then like on turn three, they'd be like looking for the way out. And I'd be like, sorry, bro, it's not that good. You're stuck. Um, the like, I'm, I miss a lot of the parts of Drukhari that have never kind of been replicated again in other codexes, like the, like setting up the surround and having the go turn and like all that stuff, like never really like cults, bro. I mean, yeah, sure, but then I have to think just way too much. Uh, there's no world I ever play cults. Um, like, the ability to not just play aggressively. Ironically, like, even though I'm playing World Leader now, it's probably the least aggressive I've played all edition, uh, which is, like, deep pain for different reasons. Oh. Um, but, yeah, I think my my favorite time in, like, the window was probably that, like, lead up to that LVO the LVO itself, like the run that I had to get into the top eight, um, like that, that window of time, um, was probably the best, like the best, like individual event I've been to was the WTC for reasons that everyone in this chat is familiar with. But like, 
in terms of like me, just like me enjoying the 40k and like the rest of it, like if I take out the rest of it for a second, it's definitely that like Elvio run is probably it's probably the run, right? <laughs> Fair enough, mate. Great points. Um, Inez, same question for yourself. Yeah. So as far as like the 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 meta moment, I think the entire period I got to play the Tyranids or Tyranids. I think like I have a, a spreadsheet where I track like all my event games, and I think from yeah from December twenty twenty one, which is when we first got like the the supplement rules for Leviathan, where we got like the plus one to hit on your hive guard. From that tournament until ooh, let me check um, September twenty, sorry October twenty twenty two, so eleven months. I didn't play an army that wasn't Terrans or GSC. Um, that was just a good time. That was like I played through like. 8th edition Tyranids with um, with with new GSC, or with old GSC, then with new GSC, then I played with Crusher Stampede, then Tyranids, then the new Gene Circle Codex. And that entire spread was like the most successful period of play I've had basically in my life, possible exception of Warhammer Fest. But I won two Super Mages in that time, I played a WTC, um, I went like 5-1, and 5-0, and 6-0, a bunch of tournaments. It was fantastic. And it was partly off the back of that set of rules was remarkably consistent and i think that every single one of like the six rule sets that were in that period of time were very playable and very interesting and in a lot of different ways that allowed me to flex different skills learn different ways of playing the game that's playing things like twisted helix melee and the bike miracle bikes list and hive guard sit in a corner and crusher stampede and turned warrior spam and like those are all you know for all being within the same sub very different and definitely helped me get a lot better at playing 40k and i've taken a lot of that out of it since as far as like best moment is definitely like walking in to the wc hall and seeing the scotland banner and knowing that i'm the captain of that team um that was that was probably the best bit um yeah, second shout out goes to just like the entire alpine cup experience uh playing a team event with a team from uh three different countries of players in a fourth country was super awesome and not something i ever would have expected to happen if you told oh, me yeah. about it a year two years ago um oh, yeah, that and we're leveraging that into like four more four more of the same um like i'm going to poland in a month to go into a team event there for no real reason um with like um brian from the Amer- brian my friend from the scottish team who's american and mycin from the polish team we're just going to do a three-month tournament there uh we're doing Sick. like another one in the netherlands in march next year with like eight of us it's fantastic um that community of people that's grown up around um people like anthony and typhus and like honestly Statcheck has been like a big driver of it is the best part of 40k and it's why we do that it's why we do this freaking jealous mate all right anthony most disliked bit um man there's been a few uh that <laughs> meta was just garbage um the I mean, like the 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 darkness moment for me will always be Cherokee. Like that event was just like the most struggle. Um, like I, as an experience, like I had like not practiced as much going into it as I had the super majors prior, and I took Drakari a little bit after what I'll affectionately refer to as their expiration date, um, and then got paired into just like a line of pairings that was so bad that like Jack and Quentin joked that I was taking the pairings for them. Yep. You were in the um, hell queue, Matt, the hell queue. Yeah. Yeah. It was rough. Um, and that was like a, I mean, it, 
even even as bad as that was, it was a great lesson of like, hey man, you play this game for the express purpose of getting better and winning. There is no reason to play something after it is no longer good. <laughs> Just none. Um, and that was a lesson that I was able to take from that and make the rest of my time in 40k very enjoyable. So generally, as bad as that was, things were still pretty good. Fair. Inez, what's your dark timeline? Uh, I mean, anybody who's spoken to me over the past year and a bit has got to be uh, LGT 2022 for me. Um, I went into that with super high hopes, super high expectations. Um, I was really feeling it. I was playing Eric Lathers' GSC list, feeling really confident about my match with anything, and then I lost my game one and I lost my game three. And I basically was like absolutely the worst person to be around for the entire rest of the tournament. Um, I think people have come up to me like, I introduced myself to LGT to LGT, but I don't think you remember me. And I'm like, I definitely don't. So you should do it again. Um, <laughs> I was like despondent at dinner, just un- all around unpleasant. And it really had me reevaluating my relationship with 40k um, in ways that I don't really want to go into right now. Um, but it, I, it, I went through it and it was a really, really tough experience um, where I just kind of like, like this was after that, this was like during that stretch of Criteria games where I, you know, won two super majors and now I'm, you know, one, two on day two, on day two of a super major. And I'm like, I really shouldn't be down here and like angry about it instead of being like, Hey, how do I do better? I got angry with myself, which wasn't healthy. Um, and I, it's, I've come out of it differently. Um, and it was a really unpleasant, the, if I wanted to point out a single moment though, it was definitely the LGT the year before where I went second against Admech to make top cut, didn't make top cut because I went second against Admech. That was, that was a bad feeling. And that was a like, okay, I'm not going to play the third, fourth best army with a chance at the top armies anymore. I'm just going to play the good armies. The same as what happened because I was like, didn't own Admech, didn't own Drakari, was like, trying to make Marines work. And like they did kind of, and then you go second in death and zeal and get pinned in your deployments on by six, by four planes. And you're like, cool, I shouldn't have done this. Um, and that was, that was rough as well. And that definitely changed my outlook on a few things as well. Fair enough. All right. For the last thing we're going to do before we sign off, gents, we are going to, and I'm, I'm probably going to lean on Ines a little more than Anthony here. We're going to rank ninth edition up with the other editions of the game that we have played. Now I've done this with, there'll be the third group of individuals that I'm doing this with. So Ines, take it away, mate. How does it rank with uh, all the editions that you've enjoyed? All right. So as far as, uh, I don't know, what, what are my criteria here or do I get to make them up? You make them up. Yep. Okay. It's, the best edition I've ever played from my gameplay sense it is more balanced. Generally, there are you know isolated incidents. More about generally more enjoyable in a lot of ways. So in a lot of ways, it's first in terms of creativity and in terms of like raw enjoyability of like the gameplay loop. I think it's probably worse than a bunch of them. So for me personally, seventh edition will always be the edition I enjoyed the most because it was buck wild. You could do almost anything, and you could make the wildest stuff work through the sheer ridiculous level of stuff you could do in that, in that edition, which for me always just has it ranking first. It was also my first editor edition, so there's a lot of nostalgia there. So seventh for me is first, ninth probably then goes in second, um, and then eighth, fifth, sixth for me, I guess. I didn't really play sixth or fifth competitively, but I did not enjoy sixth. I left the game during it, and eighth was a lot of the problems of ninth edition, but in a more in a slower to respond way, in a way that wasn't as fun and in a way that wasn't as creative. Yep, yep. I I tend to agree with all that. And funny, it's a a nice, refreshing hot take on Sam's edition as well, because... Uh, it's an interesting thing where I get, when I get together with like Jeremy and, and Matt and a bunch of the other boys, uh, from the WTC kind of 2019, 2018 crew, cause we all have like, 
we loved seventh edition. We all loved seventh edition, and we are so the vocal, like the the semi vocal shouted down minority. Oh, for sure. That. I would never play seventh edition again. That's kind of me like either, my. Exactly. I would never <laughs> ever play it again. But if I had never left it, I would have been happy. That's yeah, kind of where I mean, I'm at. Like now that I've seen enough. what balance can look like, I get it. Right, I do. This seventh edition was the extreme end of what I was talking about. With Power where there were like ten armies that, that all played hundred percent. And when you played any of those 10 armies against each other, the game was fantastic. And you could make Dude, meta choices. It, it was great. You could have so it much. Was great. And then the, the 11th best army had a 3% win rate into every single one of those. Correct. And that was awful. Like, that bit sucked. But if you wanted to play Screamer Star into Riptide Wing, into, like, Wraith, into like Triple Wraith Knights, or Yanari, like, those were all super cool games. But not, not for person 11. No, nah, I agree. You know, kind of sucks. Um, Anthony, anything you'd like to add to that rankings? Anything you think you could, is, is poignant? I mean, like, it seemed like ninth was better than 8th and better than the hellscape that you guys just described. <laughs> uh, but, like, I... To the point that I, like, get shit for it, I'm willing to put up a bet that doesn't involve a tattoo for once, that just involves, like, money to a charity, that ninth will be looked back on better than 10th. If you're a game, Adam... Okay, yeah, I'm down. Because I've got the feeling that uh, we're going to look back at ninth as the edition where the dice didn't matter. Because everything just killed everything. It didn't, nothing, nothing. Oh, cool, you can see me. I'll pick up my models now. Like, there is was that so, a bad thing? I, th- I, I think it is. I think it absolutely is. I'm, I'm much more in the camp of Inez where I want everything to have a little bit of nuance, a little bit of interplay, rather than like, ha, I can see you, you're it, and by it I mean dead. And um, I felt it, like there was plenty of nuance in ninth. Like there was that I got to do lots of stuff. Yeah, like, that's fair. See, there was nuance in ninth, right? Like there are a non-zero amount of like I mean, I players. Say, I only said the, the dice didn't matter. I didn't say the rest of the game didn't matter. I just said the dice. Right, but that's what I'm saying. But then, but then you said nuance right after. There was definitely nuance in ninth. There was well, bunches of it. There was there was no planning for what uh, what what gun do I need to take for this meta? No, you just take the best profile you got and then just put whatever synergies needed because no matter what, you always overkill everything by a percentile. But anyway, um, continue. Necrons sure okay. did exist. <laughs> <laughs> Necrons uh, sure did not kill anyone with great efficiency. I argue they, Necrons are not a ninth edition codex. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, Ooh, I could never, I could never goddamn kill them. That was my problem. Yeah, oh, that's true. Um, anyway, boys, we need to wrap this up. Thank you so much again for coming on. Um, anything you'd like to say or plug or anything, anyone you'd like to shout out before we close out? Anthony, do you want to leave? Uh, no, I, no, I just assumed you were going to go first because you usually do. I'm now I'm all caught out. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really have anything, like, super crazy to plug. I'm a coach for Art of War. I do some coaching with that. Obviously, much love to my stat check team for that sort of stuff, uh, and the team that we now need to rename for our international travels and conquerings uh, that we'll figure out at a later date. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm basically, like, to kind of call back to what I said before, I'm basically only in the position I'm in in 40k, because I can stand on the lessons from those that came before. So, yeah, thanks to all the people that are the reason I'm able to do this shit, part of which is both of you. <laughs> Much love. Um, no, me, absolute uh, duty. I am also a coach. I do my coaching through StatCheck, so that's um, stat-tech.com. Um, do feel free to reach out, especially with 10th edition coming up. I would love to work with you. Um, as far as shout-outs, I, I have to shout-out the whole Team Scotland crew for the entire time I've been with them. Um, much love to that community for being the infrastructure I came up with, the infrastructure that I now put so much back into, and also obviously the StatCheck guys. Um, to both of those groups of people, you have been instrumental in everything I am and continue to be and my job now. So. You know, 
thanks to the one guy who was like, hey, do you want to come along to this one practice day? And then that set me on that weird path that resulted in, you know, what was it you always say, Anthony? It was just meant to be something to do instead of wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, I just, I, as I'm like on a highway going from Poland into the Swiss Alps and just looking down and being like, it was just something to do instead of getting hit or rating what the fuck happened. It was, just, it was just something to do. So I didn't go back to league. That was it for me. I yeah. echo I echo that so so much. It was for me it was just something to do to keep my mind busy. Just like keep my mind and my hands busy and now uh for you know three or four podcasts a week later. Let's go. So I suppose thank you to the enablers. That's the best one. Yes. <laughs> and on that note, that lovely note actually, beautiful note. We will sign off hopefully nothing but bigger and better things for Anthony Inez and the whole stats check crew. Hopefully you guys will go and support them in any way you deem fit. Thank you so much for, again for coming on lads. Good luck with 10th edition. Thank you. You too. Thank you. gentlemen and welcome back to this second segment for part one this week closing out uh this whole freaking edition i'm joined by one of my most favorites of people uh he's growing on me like a nice healthy tumor his name is jay middlecoat how you doing brother <laughs> i'm doing great dude how are you pretty good um you're from uh, mohawk miniatures yeah tell us uh, tell us a little bit about this you're one of the very few very uh, elite few who have managed to make a full-time living out of paint streaming it's p- quite an exciting thing yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, like I stream currently now with down, back down to five days a week uh, after finishing off with John from the Art of War US side of things, teaching him how to paint for a bit. Um, but I stream, I paint for commission. Um, occasionally, very rarely, I paint for myself, but that is few and far between the days where I can say I did that. Yeah. That's basically what I do. There you I go. paint for how- soldiers, how I describe it. I either paint them for how- myself, somebody else, or for a giveaway. How exciting! Now you are joining us, but not not only because you are a uh, professional, you know, uh, level content creator, personality person in the you know the wargaming sphere, but also because you are the head, the current head judge for the WTC. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, yeah, I'm really proud of that as well. I, I attended last year as a judge, um, and obviously did not enough things wrong to be asked to come back and do this. <laughs> Uh, as the man in charge or at least the, the man to blame we'll, we'll go with that exactly right that you are now the new scapegoat congratulations sir everybody yeah, everybody standing right. in <laughs> for jay uh, but uh, i wanted to hear because of those two dualities and capacities because you have this ability to speak to this edition from a very unique perspective the perspective of somebody who not only has played it and enjoyed it as a full-time uh, content creator and personality, but also somebody who has had to adjudicate it at the highest level. And I think that is a very unique perspective, one that I wanted to capture. Uh, I will let you everybody know that I am quite sick at the time of recording this, so I do apologize if my voice is not up to scratch. Because uh, it is quite scratchy. But I hope you yeah, enjoy. I wasn't going to make that joke, but clearly yeah, you've set, oh, set, set the bar on how low humor can go. We're about to go lower. So me, Jay, and I, so so Jay is uh, like I said. Um, his name is Middlecoat surname, and they're in the in in the run sheet for the Thursday show. Now Warhammer Meta Chasers, the middle of the show where we do all the stats breakdown is called the juicy middle. <laughs> for whatever reason, for whatever reason, you two are now synonymous. Every time I do all the run sheet, I think, "Ooh, juicy Middlecoat," and. Nice. That is now your nickname in my head, mate. It is now head cannon that okay. you ha- either have an alter ego called Juicy, where maybe you're a stage rapper, or uh, 
Well, it's you've just told everyone what my OnlyFans is, so you know, I'll get some free advertising from that. Juicy J. Juicy J. I want on the back of your, your WTC ref shirt now. The Juicy no, one, Jay Middlecoat. Let's go. Ah, uh, that's true. That's fair. You got to stay on brand, mate. But you know, this this could be you know you know how like a lot of the popular YouTubers do a, a, a like a second YTube channel. Um, <laughs> I don't have enough subs on my primary could, channel for that. Well, you know, you're not gonna if you don't diversify, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a different audience entirely. I'm not entirely certain the uh, people that be interested in Juicy J and the people that collect toy soldiers. I'm not sure that Venn diagram interacts very much. Uh, but but see, then you're in completely different spheres. It would be you. So it's just a 100. <laughs> it would be me and an entirely new market of absolute miscreants, which is probably right <laughs> up your alley. <laughs> uh, pretty much, mate. I mean, I stream on Twitch, which is uh, at times very interesting. So you, exactly. you get all kinds on there. It's good. Yeah, you, you have to be you have to be wide open to ex- the full acceptance of our community, which I think is only a, <laughs> only a good thing. Yeah. Um, yeah to that end, though, like I say at times, enough with the foreplay. Let's get down to biz. My man, what was your first impressions of this edition once you'd played the first couple of games and or going through the core rulebook? And by this edition, I mean ninth edition, obviously. I, I, I was just going to clarify, but yeah, okay. Um, that it was basically an upgraded eighth. That, that was my first sort of thoughts of ninth. Sat down with the rulebook, read the whole thing cover to cover, and my initial thought was i'm really glad this isn't a pamphlet like we got for eight um i am someone that likes the rules to be written out so there's no real ambiguity and we can talk about that if you want but there's there's been a fair amount of it in ninth here and there so when we went from eighth which was what six sheets of a4 perhaps to ninth which was a what 50 odd page rule book 60 page rule book something like that uh, that outlined what terrain was because in eighth it was either a hill or a building and if it was neither of those two things did it really count at all um, to something that was a lot more of a well-rounded game even from the get-go and whilst it's had you know a few things that needed tweaking along the way uh, you could argue there's quite a lot of those um, the main rules just felt to me like here's eighth and we've polished it a little bit and now we've got you something that's that's reasonably solid yeah, I agree with that take quite a lot. It, it it was an expanded eighth, hopefully dodging a lot of the pitfalls and expanding upon you know. Well, they they touted the terrain pack as being the big the big addition, the big patch mm-hmm. fix to eighth edition, so to speak. Do you hold with that? Uh, I think the terrain pack made a lot of competitive events viable. Suddenly, um, in eighth with true line of sight on everything, there are a lot of. Uh, like small game shops that had terrain that had been kicking around in their storeroom for like 15 years uh, in boxes that they just like couldn't use really in eighth because as soon as you put it on the table, you're like, well, no one's got anywhere to hide anymore. And with obscuring, which as a night player, I'm just going to point out, I hated that. But it meant that for any other player, you had terrain at your local store that you could use in a functional game. So I think a lot of those sorts of things really, really helped. Yeah, you think that just opened up avenues of availability, people getting yeah. level-wise able to play the game. And the more people play the like, game, the more people you get into the game, the more friends they'll bring into the game. So it's good for the growth of the hobby in absolutely. general. Absolutely. I mean, ostensibly, for 
a ninth edition game, it probably isn't enough. But if you just chopped up a couple of cereal boxes, get some elves, you yeah, you could sure. you could clobber something together. Which I think that's a pretty uh, good indictment of things. Um, so, despite being a full time content creator, being uh, the head judge for the WTC, you still have found time to be a pretty damn competitive player. Give us your journey through the edition. What did you play for the majority of it? How involved were you? Did you have any notable success points? One or two. <laughs> um, like I've I've effectively played Imperial Knights for the last four years, uh, and what a matter. I've won, <laughs> I have won the uh, ITC Global Knights Player number one for every LVO that's been on for the last four years. Obviously, one of those was cancelled for Corona. Um, and not only that, we've we've still managed to place in around the top fifty, but I only do nice. one tournament a month, so I go to twelve events. And still managed to bring that in with an army that is absolutely never been like a meta army. Because even when knights were in the meta, people were playing ten and one, seven and two. I've always played three big knights because three. I love the big knights. They look amazing. Um, and mine are covered in hazard stripes, so you can see them from miles away. I, I know <laughs> I can leave them on my table and yeah. they're safe. No one's going to think that. Um, so yeah, I, I've played a very off-meta version of Knights and done pretty well with it. I think the LGT we finished fifteenth out of seven hundred and seventy, seven hundred eighty-ish. Nice, dude. Yeah, very did, did nice. okay with it. And yeah, a couple of ITC wins uh, for the faction as well. Very impressive stuff. On top of all your other accolades, um, what have been your highs and lows for your um, experience of the edition? Like, what would you say was the the, the peak high point for you? Um. So I guess say a peak high point for me personally was the ninth code was a ninth edition night codex because that <laughs> brought a lot more interactivity with the army. Yeah. Um, it was the hardest list to write in the world, I think, at that point, which is a free blade knights list because the codex was so information is in four different places. Yeah. That it was really hard to navigate through it and understand it, and then you not only had to do that, but you had to work out well if I'm playing an average game. I need to know that I can do this in turn three to swing it in my favor. Should I need to, how do I write that into my list? And I'm someone that really enjoys the outside of the game parts of the game as much as the game itself. So list writing for me is a a really fun experience. And even with something that complicated, getting your head around it and really polishing that up to get it to where you wanted it to be. For me, that was a big high because it took the army that was normally a, look, we run forward, we shoot you as much as we can until we can stamp on you in combat yeah. for three turns. Yeah. To something that was a little bit more... Nuanced. Finesse. Yeah, there's yeah. nuance to it. There was a little... like There were several things. I don't want to say gotchas because they weren't. I'd always explain them to my opponent. But you explain them to your opponent pre-game and they're sitting there looking at you like, I don't understand anything you said. <laughs> That's the fourth word. Uh, all right, we'll roll with it. But now you've told me, I'll remember that you can intervene six and so on. Um. For me personally, the low point was where we started getting lots of things that just absolutely reached out and touched you from a great distance and that you couldn't do anything about. Um, Grey Knight, Grandmaster, Nemesis, Dread Knight, Spam, when that was a thing. Uh, In the UK, we've got the UKTC run by Zach, great dude. Um, That has a lot of ruins with loads of windows. I can't see through them. They can see through them. So you just remove your toys. And you spend a game removing your toys, and that's all you do. And there's there's a lot of that, but I appreciate I play an army that is very skewed in Titanic units. And so for me, that's just part of the game. You understand when you go to an event that 
you might dodge that bullet several times in a row, in which case you'll do well. You might hit that bullet in game one, in which case, all right, fine, I'm playing for second or fourth or tenth or whatever. You know, that's it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a very good take, a very mature perspective on playing such a skewed list as well. Speaking, um, because we're fo- just following the rabbit hole here, uh, internal balance-wise, there's been some criticisms of uh, a lot of ninth edition codexes because their internal balance has been off or it's been very quickly solved as what the best mm-hmm. thing is. You know, chuck out the rest, nothing else applies. I think a very good example of that is the Imperial Knight Codex, which I think would have been a more fun book if the Free Blade Lance didn't exist because there actually would have been options in the book rather than just, here is your Free Blade Lance, sir. Congratulations on your purchase of a free blade lance with this book because that's all you're going to play. Um, how do you feel about that statement? Uh, I, I think it's it's mostly accurate, but there's there's lots of things there that I, I'm not going to say are 100 percent true. Um, a friend of mine, Lewis, he is a great dude. He looks like uh, the, the, the the Milky Bar kid, so constantly oh, yeah. giving grief for that. Um, he went all the way through the last year of ninth playing double valiant and absolutely crucifying people and i put the valiant down as one of the worst units in the codex by a million miles and then there's people like me who are playing three nights there's a lot of people uh like jackson from from your side of the the the, country, the, the world uh played two nights there's a lot of people went 10 and one so there's lots of builds that did well but you either had to be someone that had so many reps you knew everything there was to know about the army to be able to play a skewed style or just insanely lucky or some weird combination of the two yeah exactly right i i I would like to point out i do think the valiant for points point for point is one of the worst units in the freaking game like (laughs) the only reason it's above the gallon is because it's got a gun in my gun congratulations on gun um (laughs) turns out that's good in ninth edition but uh yeah the poor gallon man like that's uh, terrible you look at a WTC table and you're like, man, this thing is never making combat. <laughs> yeah, well, no, like... it will. It'll make combat with the four crew hands that have screened it out turn one, and it'll make combat with the four crew hands that have screened it out turn two. Yeah, turn two. And then uh, if and it's still it. there, <laughs> if it's still there at turn three, that means they had enough time to shoot everything else in your Yeah, army. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's bad, sad, bad. Anyway, um, Back to our train of thought. What did you think of the overall core rulebook? I mean, you've already pretty much given us a little bit of an explanation that you enjoyed it a lot more over the 8th edition one, but was there anything particular in there that you thought was particularly good or bad? Um, I'm going to sort of take this away from the core rulebook a little bit and, and just dive into the FAQs, because like we said earlier on, the, the rulebook had lots of things that were not particularly brilliantly worded at times. Um, and there wasn't as many as people like to make out. There's there's enough, don't get me wrong, but it's not like the game's garbage by any stretch of imagination. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of internet rage about about that sort of thing frequently. So just to, to, internet, to draw a internet, line to that, it wait, ain't that bad. Internet rage in our community, sir. How, de- how dare you? It's so disparaging. I might have we seen it today. <laughs> Uh, to be to be fair, actually, today a friend of mine just bought a kaitan that I painted for my housemate uh, as a commission. He yeah. bought that three days ago. It just arrived at his house yesterday. He's like, "Oh, I love it! I can't wait to play a game with it." And then today, like, "Oh, well, I can't wait to well, look at it on my shelf for the rest of my life." He's got the he's got the coolest night rampager in the town. Ex- exactly. That's definitely exactly. the way it's going to be. It is one hundred percent. Yeah. But yeah, with the FAQs, we've seen a lot of stuff that GW have have put into that. A lot of thought, a lot of effort has gone into it. Um, it helps being the position that I'm in that I understand 
their side of things quite a lot more than I would have just a, a regular player, I think. Um, but having a very dedicated group of people sorting those things out again and again and again, uh, I think it's great. The balanced data slate, I think, is the best thing to have happened to Ninth Edition. Uh, like s- some of us played like way back in the dark ages, um, and you the words FAQ never came up. An errata might come out once yeah. every three or four years, uh, and that would be it. So having a game that is, let's just use the, the common phrase and just say patched frequently, I think it's really good. I think it's absolutely amazing that they do it for better or for worse. We definitely don't want to discourage it um, because it's, oh well, for better or for worse, it's only for better. Even if it's a bad yeah. quarterly Even update, if you don't agree with it. Exactly. Sure. It'll come back that's around. That's great, but you know, it will make things better in the long run. Um, how do you feel about the power creep of the edition? Do you think it's been a real deal or do you think it's uh, a bit of a misnomer? I think power creep is actually important to the game. And that's a really weird take I appreciate. Um, you remember playing the last half of 8th edition before COVID hit, I imagine? Uh, I do. Uh, you mean the uh, the second Space Marine Codex and the impact the there in that meta? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's a, a pretty current example of what happens when we don't get uh, something else come out with more power. And that is that the meta just becomes this stale thing where that's the only thing you see. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure there'd be other people taking armies that weren't Space Marines because they didn't want to play their own Space Marine army or didn't have one, which was a rare case for most people, I imagine. Um, and without having codexes come out that shake up the meta by being ever so slightly more powerful than the last thing, then I feel it ends up becoming a bit stale, a bit repetitive. People's enjoyment of the game overall, I imagine, goes down. I'm, I'm saying I imagine that because I don't know for sure, but certainly for me, part of the challenge of writing a good list is being able to write a list that will do well into whatever the meta thing is. And sometimes something new comes out. You're like, well, actually, my army's better into this than it was into the last meta thing, and the new meta thing beats the last meta thing. So people <laughs> aren't playing the last meta thing. They're playing the new meta thing. So my army yeah. suddenly got better because somebody else's army also got better. There's lots of those weird interactions that occur throughout a three-year span of an edition with 26 books. So you're saying if you are meta stale, the goalposts will eventually come back to you. <laughs> yeah, and, and the other thing to remember that is is that your codex, as, as it sort of its power wanes, maybe it's getting a little old or whatever, don't start selling the army on. Like, keep hold of that. Buy up a few more units that are in the current codex but a little bit on the rubbish side because what normally happens when a new edition or a new book comes out is GW readdresses the balance of power in that book and goes, listen, no one was buying these units because they were terrible. People were buying these units because they were too good. We'll bring the too good down a little bit make the not great go up a little bit and frequently that gets overtuned and the stuff that was terrible before becomes good now so you'll always end up if you're in the hobby for long enough you'll always end up with an army that you can use that is a powerful army at some point it might only be for five months might be a year look at drukari they basically ran 40k for a year um harlequins actually turns out to run 40k for most of ninth edition actually who who would have known (laughs) Well, uh, what a coincidence, because this has happened before, right? Yeah, it, it, it always happens. And we get a lot of new people coming to the hobby, and the hobby is bigger now than it ever has been. 
Um, and that's great. I, I love that because it, for starters, keeps me in business, right? <laughs> yeah. But a lot of these people that are coming in now don't don't know the fact that we've gone through this. Yeah. Don't nine, know how we got times, you know, however yeah. long you've been staying in the hobby for. I played in second, didn't play Rogue Trader because you needed three people to play Rogue Trader and I had one friend. Um, Aww. So, <laughs> you know, like I played most of the editions, missed fifth because apparently I that didn't miss anything. It was just Grey Knights. Three years of Grey Knights. Ooh, um, that's a perspective. It's the one I've been told more often than not. And this is where I go back to that kind of mindset of if we don't have things constantly evolving and constantly changing, the meta becomes super stale. And if, if all I hear about for three years worth of the game is people played Grey Knights on one game. <laughs> hmm. Yes. One unit uh, tabled me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. it's, it's really rough. I, I shot my entire army at it. He laughed. And then he killed me. <laughs> then I lost. Yeah. <laughs> that was a thing. But that was also a thing in 7th edition as well. And a bunch of different variations. I, I had the invisible bike Death Star in 7th. Yeah. Of course you did. Yeah, that, that was That's gross. That's all good. Um, all right. So putting on the WTC hat, uh, was 9th edition the first edition that you had to be a judge or adjudicator in? Uh, I'll say yes, because from major event, yeah, it was. I, I where I live is a very small area. Uh, and so most of the time, if there was a tournament, it was because I was running it. Um, but we're looking at like one day, three games. We wouldn't even have known to call it an RTT, to be honest. So yes, ninth Fair. was the first that I did a anything involving being an, an official, a, a properly recognized event. Okay. Um, how hard was it to adjudicate in your opinion? Honestly, for me, it was really easy. Um, I think a big uh, sort of barrier to, to most people being a, a referee is that they don't necessarily know how to manage conflict. And really, being a referee is all about conflict resolution. You have two people at a table that, for whatever reason, not seeing eye to eye or just need clarification. It's not always like a, a, a horrible dispute, but you know, sometimes. It, and just being able to talk to people like adults and not lose you, you know. Your, your, your temper and things. At least the wrong word there. Uh, <laughs> I think is a, a very important skill. I, I'm, I've been around a block a time or two. You know, got a lot, yeah. lot, lot of grey in my beard. Um, so for me, it's it's something that I've had plenty of practice dealing with. And so for me, again, as a referee, I found that pretty straightforward. Um, obviously, you've also got to know the rules, and you've got to feel that confidence in knowing the rules. Uh, but one of the best things about being a referee is if someone comes up to you and says, right, how does this rule work? You can say, well, where's your codex? And then you can just read it through. And you don't need to memorize everything. You just have to be able to think clearly through the rules. That's all. Yeah. Um, agree. So how many of those, uh, how many of those gray hairs came uh, during this edition? Doing, uh, so did you only one WTC so far that we've had in this edition? That's, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, that's the only WTC that we've had. Oh yeah. The, the, literally the only one. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ATC in 2019. Um, at that level of the game, has it been an easy job writing rules, figuring FAQs, finding what is, you know, rules as intended, rules as written? That's that's the tough part, uh, and all of that fortunately happens way before an event is 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 being played. Um, we recently overhauled the WTC FAQ uh, under my instigation because there's a lot of things there that were needed to be there when the edition launched and we might find the same intent where people 
just need to be like reassured. No, this is right. Yeah, we had lots of stuff in ninth where people were starting to play, and they're like, "Wait, hang on, that's how that works." Like, yeah, that is how it works. Like, I didn't know that. Like, okay, well, now you do. And if we can put that in an FAQ, it means less sort of feels bad moments at the tabletop, which is really what our FAQ is all about. It's about making sure that people can play the game knowing what to expect in certain situations, so they can then make sure they don't end up in a bad situation. Obviously, that you have to read the rules for it, which not everyone does, but it helps. Um, but yeah, we redid every faction's FAQ and we took a lot of stuff out of specific faction FAQs, put them into the general FAQ because they apply to a lot of things now rather than just one unit at a time. Um, and that was, that was a lot of work, but myself, Tom, uh, Neil, Calvin, uh, Lim from the, the German community, um, a couple of guys from the French FEQ, which is the, the French uh, sort of Federation of Referees, essentially, and their, yep. their wargaming community, um, basically spent probably about a day, yeah, probably about 20 hours or so, going through it all over a couple of different Discord calls, just getting it getting it sorted and ironed out. Good job. Yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, obviously, all of that is, is now being put aside because new edition, mm-hmm. but yeah. the thing about our FAQ is not that it's for our event, it is for to be honest, most events in Europe. Yeah, so exactly right. It's not like there were no tournaments happening between January and now. It still needed to be done. <laughs> yeah, spot on. Um, all right, so favorite thing about ninth edition? Ooh, uh, God, one particularly favorite thing about ninth edition. It can be a, it can be a game. It can be a moment in a game. It can be a single rules interaction. It can be a model. It can be a data sheet. It can be freaking anything, oh. dude. Definitely, de- definitely. God, it. It, it's a model, um, the Void Dragon. I think that is absolutely one of the best minis that Games Workshop have ever produced. I've given away two of those that I've painted. Uh, I've commissioned another one, and I could do that all day, every day. I love that mini. It's got so much presence, and unlike a lot of GW's like monstrous kind of things, it's not grotesquely proportioned. Yeah. If you look at like a bloodthirster or whatever, you know, it's got muscles for days. Uh, the Void Dragon, this is kind of athletic, almost tennis player looking dude floating around on a pillar of energy with great big, uh, almost sort of somewhat mythical, somewhat technological looking wings. I love it. That thing's absolutely immense. I, I think it's incredible. I love the. Um... The, the difference of texture you get as a as yeah. a painter when I look at it as, from, as, as like how am I going to paint this thing I'm like oh wow there's actually so many different textures for me to play with and it's mess around brilliant. with and yeah and just think of an effect uh, like a mm-hmm. skill an effect a little a little quirk that you can't use on that model like I mean OSL glowing um, yeah. non-metallic metal freehand so, freehand exactly the world is your oyster I, that's a great that's a great call I like that um, most disliked thing about the edition. <laughs> <laughs> Again, for me personally, it's got to be obscuring. I can get in the bin. <laughs> obscuring? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I hated that. Tell um, It basically, for certain armies, just pre- presents a feels bad. Um, like, sure, you play Imperial Guard, you want to bring your Bane Blade. That's hard enough to move on a table anyway. Correct. Um, but we're just going to kill it first turn. All right, great, yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, you want to be the fun guy, bring in some greater demons. Great, well, I can kill those first turn as well. Uh, yeah, that, that that for me is is limited the amount of things that you can put on a table more than almost anything else in the game by the points limit. 
Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's one of the reasons they've had to put wound gating on more models, right? Like yeah. Gaz had to, yeah, Gaz exactly. had to had wound gating. Like the oh, a, he'd be a, paced without it. Oh, you know. Dude, he'd be so bad. Like here, here is half of one Devastator squad. Oh no, no, here, here is just the, the <laughs> yeah. freaking cherub multi melter with one guy with a multi melter and a cherub. Yeah, and that's it. exactly <laughs> right. Popped four multi melter shots. See you later, Gaz. Like it would be so sad, man. Um, but yeah. Um, how do you feel about the lethality of Ninth Edition? I mean, the WTC has had to, and I believe, create the most nuanced and best map layouts that we've ever seen for a tabletop game ever. But that has been necessary due to how ridiculous at times the meta has been lethality-wise. Like we need, you need, you guys had the 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 task of making it so there has is firing lanes, but they're not they're not you know just automatically there. You got to work for them, but at the same time there are staging points. There's there's crevices, there's cracks, there's nuance, there's a lot of depth to these tables. I still think they're the best tables I've ever played on the WTC boards that we're working with at the moment. Um, they're, they're really cleverly designed. They're like, extremely, really, really oh, man, extremely cleverly. Um, how do you feel about that though? The lethality of Ninth Edition, just how much everything killed each other. Was it a good thing? Was it a bad thing? And um, the terrain making the game playable uh, as, as a facet that we have used as a community to make the game playable has that been a big deal as well? Uh, it, it's definitely shaped the game a lot. Like you, you have to sort of look at your army and go, "Can I go second? No. All right, then I can't take this army." Um, it, it's it's one of those things that's very polarizing. I think for a lot of people, yeah. they like the fact that their guns feel like the guns should be. So for tag players, and well, less said, um, they love <laughs> the fact that hammerheads are a tank killing tank because that's what it is meant to be. Um, when Primaris came out, Space Marines felt like Space Marines. You know, when some of these things came out that made a particular unit weapon whatever a lot more lethal than it is they felt like that unit and that's great but it does does really sting at a competitive level because it invalidates a lot of stuff straight away yeah yeah um i i think it's fine like even me with my you can see see my stupid army anywhere on the table uh go for it uh, even for that it's it's not horrendous um you understand if you're playing an army that is that skewed you face Votan, you face Tau, you face a good Craftwood Eldar player. Um, you've probably lost more than you want in the first two turns. Um, and you have to try and play around it, which is really, really hard. But it does mean that things feel like they should. It's just, why do they have to ignore invulnerable saves as well? You know, th- That, for me, was the point where they went, all right, well, clearly you've given too much stuff in vulnerable saves, and I hear some of your answers to it. And a straight 12 damage gun that ignores invulns with a, a strat feels a little much. But okay, yeah. fine, w- whatever. Not everyone plays knights. Sometimes that vaporizes the absolute living bejesus out of a guardsman. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's dead. So I, I think, I don't really want to talk too much about 10th, but I think in 10th, when we're seeing a lot of stuff being advertised with devastating wounds, we're still going to see things that are a lot more lethal. And I don't know if people have, have really caught on to the fact that something that maybe does six wounds devastating wounds is now six times more effective against a guardsman or a small chaff unit than it was against a tank correct it Uh, is definitely going to be a yeah it's very fun it's definitely going to be a a bit of a shock at times when yeah when i think that would have killed one guy now kills you know three four five ten that's half your squad then your battle shock then you've lost your objective yeah christ yeah yeah it's going to be weird 
All right, mate. Uh, you have played, you know, with the exception of, like you said, 5th edition, you played mo- just about all the editions of this damn game. How would you rank Ninth edition up against its contemporaries? Oh, number one spot, 100%. It is the yeah. most balanced, uh, and I'm going to say fair, game that I've played as far as 40k goes. There you go. It, it, despite some of the, the craziness, despite like uh, only Drakari can win for like a good six months and, and all that stuff and Tyranids. Yeah, you still think it was the, the made yeah, the best man win. There you go. Hon- honestly, cool. like, I, I have I have never lost a game to Drakari. Uh, and I played all through the Dark Lance spam. I, I played a friend of mine, Mark, and I didn't find out what Dark Lances did till after the game because <laughs> every shot... <laughs> He either missed, fell to wound, or you, I saved. Uh, you have yeah. no idea how on brand that is for Drakari players. There, do you know how there's like certain <laughs> mythos around armies? One yeah, of the main yeah. mythos I see about Drakari is that no matter how many Dark Lances you take, they will all suck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> if you took 20, congratulations, you got 20 misses per That's per right, turn. you're going to get two wounds through. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. I have seen that. I have felt that. I've played guard into, into that and been like... <laughs> You guys just don't have any anti-tank, do you? He's like, I've spent so many points on anti-tank, Adam. <laughs> so many. If only it was a strength eight. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so you put it as number one. What's your What's your Mount Rushmore of forty k editions so far? Uh, ninth, eighth, third. Well, three point five, not third. Three point five. Uh, yeah. And then second, just for the ability to lob a hallucinogen and grenade and see the crazy <laughs> that happens past that. Yep. Tell us about 3.5, because that is one that doesn't come up that much, that often anymore. I, I wasn't around for 3.5. I didn't experience it. I just hear the tales of yore from venerable sirs like yourself. So give, give people the lowdown on that. It was pretty close to what we've got now. Um, terrain worked differently, because terrain works differently in every single edition of 40k. Yes. Like, they will not release a new version of the game. It doesn't in some way mess with terrain. Just bear that in mind. Anyone that makes terrain for a living, you've got three years out of that, and, and then you're going to reload everything again. Um, but 3.5 was was still good from my eyes because Space Marines felt like Space Marines. Uh, I had a Black Templars army back then. Nice. Uh, Land Raider Crusader buses full of Crusader squads jumping out. Uh, Sword Brethren that looked like Wolverine. They, they were great. Yep, yep. I remember the miniatures right now. I can see them. Let's well, say only changed. It does last year. <laughs> like, you so can buy good. this in metal. You can buy it in resin, yeah, and then yeah, you can buy a yeah. cool-looking version in plastic. Yeah, yeah. The new Primaris ones look sick. Um, interesting. Yeah, three point five coming up. That's cool. And so a lot of people talk about three point five from your era. The way people, I guess, from my era, talk about fifth edition um, and say that up until Grey Knights, it was amazing. Which is kind of the same as I hear people talk about uh, 8th. Up until the second Space Marine Codex, it was amazing. That kind of stuff. Uh, which I suppose holds a fair, a fair bit of water there. But unfortunately, we are going to be pretty much out of time. I only have one more question for you. Completely unrelated. So you've been a uh, full-time content creator since 2019, is that correct? Uh, no, full-time for the last two years. Uh, I got yep. made redundant in February of 21 and decided, you know what, I've, I've looked Go for long it. enough to have a decent... Yeah package at the end of it we'll give it a shot for three months if it goes wrong we'll get another job uh hasn't gone wrong yet yeah, nice nice it's always tomorrow yeah dude exciting um have you at any point you woken up in the morning and being like damn i wish i didn't call them mohawk miniatures i would love a different hairstyle 
<laughs> no, and I've even got a backup for if I need to get rid of the mohawk. Like, listen, th- there's two things that gets us all right. Old age is one of them. Ooh, We're all going to get yeah. old. Most of us are going to lose the ability to do things we could have done, or, or or grow things that we could have grown. Right? Yeah. Hair is going to go. So all I need to do is take one bit of hazard striped tape to stay on brand across the M in my uh, my big sign in the studio and change it to no hawk miniatures. Oh wow. Oh, genius. I've got this covered, man. <laughs> and then people will be like, what's, what's your thing? I'll be like, well, do you see any hawks yeah. on my stream? And they'll be like, no, I don't see any hawks there, Jay. Well, but no hawk miniatures. There you go. Well, what a coincidence. <laughs> it means I can't ever paint Cody as. That's, that's any downside. Oh, oh. Oh, just biting my hand in, in pain for you. Oh, uh, it, uh, Khan. Does Khan? As in White oh, Scars Khan? Yeah, yeah. He he's got a hawk. Yeah. Mate, the yeah, scars that's, are lost that's here. two characters. That's yeah, the scars, they're gone. That's it. To be fair, I could never paint a White Scars army. It's not painting white. I painted 7,500 points of white custodies that nearly had me tearing my hair out, actually. That was, that was horrible. Um, but I've seen too much South Park to be able to seriously paint a White Scars army. <laughs> uh, you, you know what I mean, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the episode in yeah. question. A uh, lot of, lot of uh, awkward undertones there. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so on that awkward note, let's wrap this bad boy up. Where can people catch you, Jay, if they want to enjoy some more of your banter, some more of your wonderful personality? Uh, Twitch.tv forward slash Mohawk Miniatures. Um, honestly, if you just search Mohawk Miniatures, like, you'll find me, YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, all of the usual places that you'd imagine a business in the 21st century would be, basically. Fan-freaking-tastic. Hopefully, you'll go over there and support the juicy one in his endeavours. If not... <laughs> That's my only fans. Uh, if not, find him over on, on Juicy J at OnlyFans. Uh, enjoy, my man. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, my pleasure, mate. Take care. Thank you for listening to Art of War Down Under. A content review podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Enjoyed the show? Want your lists reviewed and the content you heard put into practice? Sign up to our Patreon and connect with us online or on Facebook. Just search for Art of War Down Under. Signing out from tomorrow.